Steve introduced me as the senior pastor up at the church in Akron, and I like to joke that that title is about the only thing senior there is about me. Uh, I'm a young man who, well, I'm not as young as I used to be. Six kids, pregnant with our seventh, so slowly getting some gray hairs. Great family, though. But I am glad to be here with all of you uh, because I'm eager for you to know that Sovereign Grace Churches is a denomination of churches that values partnership, but our partnership is not some cold cooperation on mission and governance, uh, but is the kind of partnership you see in Acts, uh, men and churches that know and love each other. And so these men who lead you are my friends, and we love to spend time together and to speak into each other's lives and to eat too much food together and to laugh together. And so it is a joy for me to be with them, and it is a joy for me to be with you. And I'd also want you to know that our mission in Sovereign Grace Churches is, again, taken right out of the book of Acts, it is to plant and strengthen churches, because that's what we see um, the apostolic ministry in the book of Acts. Men were going around planting churches and then going back around and strengthening those churches that they had planted. And so we're very committed to not only planting out churches, but to continue to make sure that the churches that we have are strong and healthy churches. And one of the things that we have learned is that uh, strong leadership teams, strong pastoral teams, healthy teams make for healthy churches. Uh, rarely, if ever, do you have churches split or churches break apart or churches shut down if the team of leaders, pastors, are healthy. It's kind of like in a marriage in a family. If the marriage is healthy, the family is generally healthy. And so we take it very seriously that one of the ways we can strengthen churches is to come alongside your pastors and their wives and to strengthen them and to invest in them. And, and so what we did this weekend was uh, I led them in through an exercise uh, evaluating the health of this team. And I'm very happy to report to you that they passed. Uh, you have a very healthy team uh, of men who love each other and are united and display remarkable uh, humility and gentleness and graciousness. Uh, I think, you know, of our churches in Sovereign Grace, you have some of the most pastoral pastors. Uh, and particularly Steve and Joy, right there with them, you guys have just led the charge in setting the tone of that on this team and in this church. Uh, you two are just so phenomenal at caring. And it just shows and is displayed here. And so, well done. You've made a healthy church and a healthy team for it. Yes, you can clap for them. That's appropriate. And so I was blessed to be with these guys and was uh, encouraged as much as, you know, probably more than I was able to encourage them. And so it was a joy. But now I am eager to preach God's word to you. So please turn in your Bible to 1 John, the letter of 1 John. This morning we are going to look at 1 John chapter 1 and study the topic of being honest with God and confessing our sin. Uh, we live in a world that often rewards artificiality. Uh, we have struggles, we have doubts, we have weaknesses, but we often feel compelled to project a sense of 
well-being and health and success and happiness. And so on social media, it's so easy to do this. With just a few taps, we can transform our appearance. We can put the filter on just right and take away the blurriness around our eyes and the blemishes on our face. And we can make everything look a little bit better. We can take pictures of our house projects that go amazingly well and leave off the pictures of the house projects that failed miserably. We show the perfect family portraits. We love to present ourselves as put together and doing well. Rarely do we post the other half of life, uh, unless it's particularly funny. You know, if maybe the house project was a failure and it was a funny failure, you might get that to do some laughs. Uh, but even that's in a sense to try to kind of make yourself seen as funny and able to laugh at yourself. Rarely are we on social media, for instance, uh, confessing our jealous longing of other people's lives. Uh, that we sat the night away in bitterness towards another. That we are struggling with loneliness or lust or laziness. Nobody likes a fake and yet we're very good at being fake. Not only online, but in the offline, in the real world as well. We put on masks. We hide our insecurities, our struggles, our doubts, our fears. We do this at church, don't we? I have six kids. I know what it's like to get into a huge argument on the way to church, yelling, mad. People are throwing shoes across the van. And then we walk into the church, and everybody says, how are you? And you say, good. Doing good. Fine. But are we good? Are we fine? We insist we are good when, in fact, we are not. And we do this because it's our natural and sinful tendency to try to appear to be what we are not. To try to appear better than we actually are. We do this to each other. We do it online. We do it online. And here's what we want to talk about this morning. We even do this with God. When we come before him corporately, like we are right now, or when we approach him daily in our devotions and time in the word, or if it's even in communion with him throughout the day, uh, we, it is our natural and our sinful tendency to try to appear, even before God, to be what we are not. To try to appear before him better than we are. Uh, we are afraid to open up before God how bad we truly are how much we're actually struggling. We try and kid God, but we're not kidding God. Our topic today and the title of our sermon is Confessing Our Sin. Confessing Our Sin. And to confess something means to acknowledge it. In other words, it's to speak the truth about it. It's to get honest, to be real. To confess your sin is to be honest with God that you have done something and that that something has affected your relationship with him. That that something has disrupted your fellowship with him. That that something 
has inhibited your intimacy with God. And all this makes our topic today a matter of imminent importance if you desire intimacy with God. So we're looking at 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 down through chapter 2, verse 2. And I would invite you to follow along as I read. This is what Holy Scripture says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children. I am writing these things to you. So that you may not sin. But. If anyone. Does sin. We have. An advocate with the father. Jesus Christ. The righteous. He is the propitiation. For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of God, and it is eternally true. Would you pray with me? Our Father and gracious God, we come before you now under your word and yielding to your Holy Spirit. Asking you for the gift of illumination. Help us to see ourselves in your word and help us to see you in your word. God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves, warts and all. I pray that you would help us to see you, glory and all, and that you would give us the grace to confess our sins and receive your forgiveness through the only mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage, John wants to help us think rightly about our sin. He wants us to think rightly about it, and he wants us to know how to respond rightly to it. And the first thing John teaches us is that all right thinking, all right thinking about anything begins with God. 
All right theology, all right thinking begins with God. We see this right in verse 5. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So John is teaching us all right thinking begins with God. All right thinking about anything begins with God. He is the alpha. He is the beginning. And so we are supposed to start with him. And this is a stark contrast to ourselves because we tend to begin with us. We start with ourselves and we start with our felt needs. That's why there are so many churches today that are seeker sensitive or felt needs churches. They want to please man. They want to build a church with the power of pleasing people. And so they begin with man. But as the saying goes, what you win them with is what you win them to. And so they begin with man, and they must continue with man, and in the end their theology is man-centered. And I thank God that that is not this church. Your pastors are leading you better than that. They begin where Scripture begins. They begin where the gospel begins, and that's with, with God. In the beginning, God. All right thinking starts with God, and so if you want to think rightly about your sin, if you want to think rightly about your sin and how to respond to your sin, you do not start with you, you start with God. And you need to know this about God, John says, if you're going to think about your sin, you need to know God is light. Now why would he begin with this exclamation, God is light? What does that mean? What is the point of that? Why does he start with that? Well, we know from passages like Romans chapter 1 or Psalm 19 that creation, what? Declares the glory of God. That's Psalm 19, right? Or Romans 1 talks about how his invisible attributes, what we cannot see about God, his invisible attributes are made visible through the things that he has made. So creation is like a parable. It's constantly teaching us things about God. It's illustrating truths about God that we couldn't see otherwise, but creation makes them visible for us. And so, for instance, when we see reports of a hurricane crashing through the coast of Florida, we are seeing a demonstration of something of the power of God on display. Or when we consider the intricacy of the human body, and how it's being woven together. One right now is being woven together in my wife's womb. We are witnessing the incomprehensible intelligence of our God. God's invisible attributes are making visible the things that he has made through the things that he has made. So when John declares that God is light, he is telling us something about God's invisible attributes that we need to understand. It means that God is everything beautiful. And what, I mean, you guys have this beautiful light in here, wonderful light in here. Uh, we should look at this as we think about this passage. It's, it's displaying for us something about God, that God is everything bright and beautiful and warm and attractive that light is. Everything life-giving and attractive that light communicates communicates something to us about God, and it also testifies to us that he is perfectly pure and brilliantly bright in his holiness. That God is the apex of moral purity, and he is altogether 
marvelous in our eyes. God is the Holy One who dwells in un unapproachable light. And dear Christian, this is a wonderful truth for us to hold on to. To know that the God you serve, the one you have your hope firmly fixed upon, the God of the Bible, the triune God, your God, he is light and in him is no darkness at all. That means there is no secrecy in God. There are no moral inconsistencies in God. There's no dark corners hidden in God, no hidden agendas in God. God is the father of light, purity, known. You see what you get with him, and in him there is no shadow of turning, no decay, no darkness, no moral impurity. And this is a precious and powerful truth about God. And so then taking it to the topic of sin and thinking about how it reflects our relationship with God, John, John is showing us who it is we are in fellowship with. Who it is we are relating to. The pure one, the light one, the moral excellent one. And how it is utterly impossible, utterly illogical, utterly incredulous for us to say, verse 6, that we have fellowship with him while we walk in some kind of darkness. How could we say that? How could we kid ourselves to think that? That the light would have fellowship with darkness. If we say we have fellowship with the God of light while we walk in some darkness, some secret sin. John says, we do not practice the truth. We lie to ourselves and to each other and to God. In other words, it's fake Christians who walk in darkness. Phony Christians, false Christians, people who are not honest with God they are not honest with others, and they're probably not honest with themselves. Fake Christians walk in darkness. False Christians walk in darkness and say they walk in the fellowship of the light. But, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So fake Christians walk in darkness, but true Christians walk in the light as he is in the light. And to walk in the light means we are walking exposed before God. Is that how you came in here this morning? Exposed before God. No pretense. No kidding. No pretending. Naked before God. It's supposed to be like Adam in the garden. Naked before God, walking in fellowship with him before the fall. It means all that, he, to walk with him in the light means all that he is in perfect light reveals all that you are. Walking in the light means being honest about yourself. Not faking it. 
not faking anything, but instead confessing everything. Walking in the light means letting go of how you'd like others to perceive you. Letting go how you'd like God to perceive you. And instead admitting where you have been walking in darkness and where you need to step out into his light. For what communion, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Just imagine for a moment, um, sanctified imaginations here, right? So let's use some sanctified. Um, imagine you were standing in front of a mirror. And have you ever changed, like, have you ever been in, like, a store and you go into like, change your clothes and you're in one of the stores where, like, the light is so dark in the changing room. And you're like, anyone would look good in this darkness. You can't see anything. Like, I look amazing in here because it's so dark in this room. So imagine instead you go in and you stood before a mirror and there was just this bright light exposing every part of your body. Yeah, not as, not as tight as I used to be. <laughs> yeah, a little more wrinkles than I had before. Everything exposed. But in your soul. No dark corner. No hidden agenda. No glossing over. If you're here today and you want to go deeper with God, you want to be close to God, um, if you yearn to sense his presence throughout the day, to walk with him, to know his love. I want you to be encouraged. God wants the same with you. God brought you here today for that, and God saves you for this. God gave his own son over to death so that he could be close to, be in fellowship with you. He wants to walk with you like Adam walked with him in the cool of the garden. He wants to walk in fellowship with you. Jesus came to restore this kind of intimacy with God, but that means you've got to get honest with God. No more faking it. There's no faking it until you make it as a Christian. You have to be honest with God about your sin, and you have to step out into his light. And so, with that kind of foundation laid, I have two simple points we're going to look at this morning. The first one is the need for confession. Point number one, the need for confession. Look with me again at verses 8 and 9. John writes, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right. The obvious implication of these verses is that we all have sin to confess. We all have sin to confess, every one of us. John even includes himself. He says, if we, and if we, and if we, and... John even includes himself. Each of us has sin to confess. And John is not talking here about past sins, but about present and ongoing sins. In verse 9, uh, we see the word confess there. And the original language is present active subjunctive, meaning it's a continual action. We are confessing. It's a common and constant action. So John's not talking about past sins that we need to confess. But in the present sins, we are committed and walking in that we need to confess. And another interesting thing, I don't always go into all of the, the ins and outs of the Greek words uh, and the original language, but this one's a really interesting one. The word is homologeo. Homologeo. Homo means the same. Homo means the same. Legeo means to speak. So you put them together, right? 
the same to speak. In other words, it literally means to speak the same thing. What does confess mean? To speak the same thing. To say the same thing. To acknowledge the same thing. This means confession is to speak about your sin the same way God speaks about your sin. It's to call it what God calls it. It's to say about it what God says about it. When God says one thing about something, you say the same thing, and that's confession. So, for example, if God calls it sexual immorality, you don't say fooling around. If God says it's wrong, it should not be excused away with, well, everybody does it. To confess is to say or speak the same thing about something that God speaks about it. Another thing I'd point out here in verse 9 is I want you to know it's a conditional statement. Do you see that, how he begins? John says, if, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive. If we do what we are responsible for, God will do what he has promised to do. If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge them, if we get honest about them, so it's our job to confess, yes, I did such and such, this is why I did it, and it was really wrong of me. It's our job to confess, this is our contribution, while God's job is the forgiving. His is the cleansing. His is the fixing up and the putting back together and the making us new. So this is really a great deal. If you came here to get a good deal today, here is the deal. We contribute our sins and our confession. We say what we need to be forgiven of, and we are honest about it. But if we have no sin, we say, John writes in verse 8, then we deceive ourselves. In other words, if you don't have sin to confess regularly, think about this. John says, but if we have no sin, John says, we deceive ourselves. So that means if you do not have sin to confess regularly, that is not a sign of godliness. It is a sign of self-deceit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you do not confess your sin regularly, that is not a sign of godliness. It is a sign of self-deceit. In his passage, or commentary on this passage, Sean O'Donnell tells the story of a man who confronted Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher. Just for fun, you should know about me that, uh, and a couple of the families that are here from our church would know this about me. Every sermon of mine has to have either some allusion to the Lord of the Rings or some allusion to Charles Spurgeon. That's pretty much how I roll. I don't have a lot of tricks in my bag. I either get Lord of the Rings or I get Spurgeon. So you guys get Spurgeon today. So one day Spurgeon was confronted with a man that claimed that he had attained sinlessness. He insisted he was without sin. So Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, was intrigued by this and invited the man over for dinner at his home. And after hearing his claims through, we're told Spurgeon arose from his chair, picked up a glass of water, and threw it in the man's face. And somewhat understandably, the sinless man showed some remaining imperfections, allowing his anger to cross the line as he accosted Spurgeon. To which Spurgeon loudly proclaimed, Ah, ha, ha, you see the old man is not dead within you. As you claim, he had simply fainted, and I revived him with but a glass of water. 
this story illustrates the ongoing reality of sin in all of us, but also illustrates something of the self-deceit we can live under. Granted, few of us here, I'm sure, today would be claiming to be sinless, and yet the truth is, all of us use different shifts and evasions to keep, to keep us from having to be honest about our sin. Here are a number of examples of how we might shift and evade responsibility and honesty about our sin. We justify what we did. We justify what we did. Uh, we say things like, well, I just calls them as I see them. I don't suppose it was very understanding of me to speak to my wife that way, but I was just speaking the truth. We justify what we do. A second thing we do is we excuse what we do. We excuse it. We acknowledge it was wrong, but it just happened so fast. We acknowledge it was wrong, but they started it. We acknowledge it was wrong. Yes, I did this. Yes, it was wrong, but it's been a hard day. And we make excuses for what we do. Another evasion, we hide what we did. We hide it. This is what happened to the Garden of Eden. Our parents sinned and hid themselves from God. And we do the same thing. Nobody knows what we did. Nobody knows what we looked at. No one's going to know. No one has to know. And we just keep it hidden. But of course, was Adam and Eve's sin hidden from God? A fourth one we do is we are vague about what we did. We're vague about it. I had someone confess to me regularly, well, I haven't been as, as regular in my quiet times as, as I was. And I said, oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, we all struggle with that. You know, we have... Uh, this is a recent struggle. Yeah, it's kind of been more recent in my life. I said, okay, when was the last time you had consistent devotional life? Uh, they said six months ago. That doesn't sound quite so recent to me. Kind of vague about what we do. Hiding the truth under vagaries. We rename what we did. We call it a mistake or a problem. Which is true as far as it goes, but when God calls it a sin, and you only go so far as to call it a mistake or a problem, that's not really a confession. When God calls it rebellion, and you call it an error, or an oops, or a slip, that's not a confession. Still another evasion is, we shrug off what we did. We shrug it off, we kind of ignore it. We kind of just the idea of nobody's perfect. Uh, we have a dog, and... Uh, I can think of a number of, of mornings, especially when we first got the dog, and I would come downstairs and I'd find a little accident on the floor for me to clean up. And I would just be making stupid bunch of noises and I'm washing and cleaning. And I'm angry with the dog, but I never deal with that anger. I just kind of continue on in my day because I just shrug off the anger in reality. And yet if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Another one is we give up because of what we did. We say, well, I'm going to do it again, so what does it matter? It's not a confession. It's a giving up. An eighth, I have ten here for you today, but an eighth is we pass the buck, we shift the blame, we point the finger. It was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit, Adam said. We postpone confession of what we did. Yeah, I'm upset, I'm upset, but I'll confess later when I've cooled down, or I'll, I'll confess tomorrow at church in the morning or at the Lord's Supper. We postpone confession. And a tenth and final one is 
uh, we are overwhelmed by what we're simply overwhelmed and we think to ourselves nobody could forgive the bad that i've done if other people here at church knew what i had done they wouldn't have they wouldn't have anything to do with me and if god is a lot holier than they are then i could never bring this before him and so we're just totally overwhelmed but these are all the sorts of shifts and evasions we employ when we are trying to avoid conviction, when we are trying to avoid being honest with God. We shift and we evade, we hem and we haul, we deceive ourselves, saying it's not that bad or we'll get to it later. We don't practice the truth, and here's why, this is the honest reason why, because we are afraid. We're afraid it would undo us. We're afraid it would undo us. The truth is, you probably don't feel like you can handle knowing how God truly sees you. You probably don't even feel like you could handle knowing what those around you really think of you, if they were honest with you. You like people to think of you in a certain way. The truth is too hard, we fear. The truth is too painful. If we're honest, we would think, if I really knew what everyone thought of me, if I really knew what God thought of me, I think it would undo me. I would be so humiliated. I'd be so broken. I'd be so ashamed. And yet, friends, I would remind you, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the gospel. The way we are is supposed to be undone. It's supposed to be unraveled so that it can be remade. This is God's whole project. This is what salvation is. It's not just get a get out of hell free card. It's, it's a total home makeover. Rather, it's a total you makeover. This is what God is out to do in your salvation. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Friends, we have the incredible privilege of partnering with God in the process of being remade in his image, conformed to the image of his own son. And so the deal we get is we contribute the sin that needs to be forgiven and the honesty about our sin, and then God contributes all the rest. God contributes the forgiving and the cleansing and the putting back together again and the transformation from one degree of glory unto another. Only we must confess our sin. We must be honest with God. And so the question to ask yourself this morning is what sin, what faults, what failures do you need to confess? If you would like, let the light of God just shine on your soul without blocking it at all. What secret sin might it reveal? What's the one thing you wish no one ever found out about you? 
will you be honest with God? Will you bring it out into the light? This is the path of being made like Jesus. But it's a scary thing. It's a hard thing. And so we need what point number two brings us, the hope in confession. The hope in confession. I'm going to do this. I need some hope and some help. What's the good that's going to come out of this? How is God going to react? I need the hope in confession. Notice again in verse 9 that it is a conditional statement. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins. Uh, now think about that for a minute. What, but what exactly is John saying here? If we confess our sins. Is he saying we have to confess every one of our sins? Is that what's demanded of us to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness? Is it we must confess every sin all the time or those unconfessed sins will never be forgiven, never be cleansed? Are we doomed if we aren't? Can some secret sins be hidden in our past that are just soiling us and condemning us and, and we're kind of living in the shadow of them and we're so self-deceived we even know they're back there? Are, are we haunted by sins that are unconfessed? Psalm 130 verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If John is saying here we are legally obligated to pay for every sin unless it's confessed, then we have no hope because we will never confess every sin. And yet this is the grace of God to us in this passage. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. So friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is both our lawyer and our lamb. Jesus is both our lawyer and our lamb. John starts with Jesus' role as our lawyer, our advocate. Jesus testifies before the throne of God in favor of us over and against our sin and its due punishment. You see, by grace alone, we have been assigned the greatest defense attorney in the universe. That's what grace has given to you. The greatest defense attorney in the universe, an advocate who every time we sin, you sin, pleads our case in heaven's court. Father, Jesus says, Father, Father, uh, you know, objection or so. I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but whatever you would see to get the judges. Father, I have suffered for this sinner. My righteousness is theirs now and forever. Jesus' righteousness covers every sin in our life, past, present, and future. And this includes not only every little shift and evasion we employ to try and wiggle out from under conviction, but also all our failures to confess all our sins and all our past. Every sin we miss, Jesus still advocates for. In fact, here's something about the gospel that maybe you don't know or understand yet. Jesus didn't only die in your place, his life for yours. Jesus also lived in your place. Maybe you've heard that before, right? His life for your life, his righteousness for your life. That means Jesus repented perfectly in your place as well. 
Jesus is your perfect repentance. Jesus also repented in your place. His perfect repentance for your imperfect repentance. This is part of Jesus' righteousness imputed to you. When we say he lived the life we should have lived, this includes repenting as we should have repented. And you as good Bereans say, where in the world are you getting that in scripture, Jace? Where in the world do you find that Jesus repented for me? And I would say in Matthew chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism. Because John was preaching against sin. His was a baptism of repentance. And along came Jesus, the sinless one. It was a baptism of Jesus, or of repentance. And Jesus shows up to be baptized. Understandably, this confused John. Understandably, this befuddled John. So he actually tried to stop Jesus. He said to him, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me? There's a baptism of repentance, Jesus. There's a baptism for sin. So I need to be baptized by you. And what was Jesus' reply? Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So when Jesus is saying that he came to receive a baptism of repentance, he is saying that he did that not for his sin, but for yours and my sin. He came to identify with us and to repent perfectly in our place. And friends, this is such great news for us. Even our repentance, Jesus performs perfectly for us. He fulfills all righteousness. So if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is our lawyer advocating his perfect righteousness in our place, even instead of our failed repentances. And John says, not only that, he's also our lamb. He's also our lamb. His ever-living intercession for us is made possible by his sacrificial death for us. There is no advocacy before the Father without propitiation first. So John changes imagery here. He moves from the courtroom to the temple and from Jesus being our advocate to his being our atoning sacrifice. He is the lamb that was slaughtered at the temple for our sins. That's what the word propitiation means for us. It means satisfaction. It means satisfaction. So that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins means that in his atoning substitutionary death on the cross, Jesus satisfied God's righteous anger against our sin and against us. He satisfied God's wrath against our sin, and he satisfied God's wrath against us personally. So, God's not angry at us anymore. God's not angry at us anymore. There is therefore no condemnation, no shadow of darkness for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none left. It's all gone. There's no condemnation. Only God's favor remains only you. Only his goodness towards you. Can I get a hallelujah or an amen or a yes, Lord? Friends, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours. Josh says not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Also for the sins of the whole world. You know what he means in that? He means anyone can get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. Jesus' death is sufficient to cover every sin in any person. So if you've never confessed your sin and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, friends, you can do that today. You can do that. You can get in on this now. 
in this service today, and he will be your propitiation lamb and your pleading lawyer for the rest of eternity. Immediately, Jesus' death will be yours now and yours forever, and his righteousness will be yours now and yours forever. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means we are forgiven in Jesus, we repent in Jesus, we hope in Jesus, we confess in Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the way around. So, so, what are we to do with all this great news? What are we to do with all this great news? What's the practical application here? It's exactly this. Start confessing your sin. Start confessing your sin because there is no sort of judgment hanging over your head. Start getting honest with God. Because you can bank on the promise of God that in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for you. You don't have to be scared to get honest with God. Because verse 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see how grace liberates us? We are so free before God. Confess what you see. Confess the sins that you do see. Acknowledge what you do remember. And receive forgiveness and cleansing all the way down. All the way down. Friends, in the summer, my kids, they just play outside. They love to play outside. And they're outside all the time. And I've discovered they have a spiritual gift. They have a spiritual gift. Uh, and particularly, my five-year-old, Caleb, is particularly spiritually gifted at this. It's the gift of getting dirty. They are particularly gifted at finding dirt and smearing it on them, particularly my son, Caleb. And this verse is like if Caleb was covered in dirt from head to toe, as he often is, but noticing only his hands are dirty, comes in and asks me, Dad, can you help wash me up? Can you help wash my hands? He's dirty from his head to his toes, all the way down. But all he notices, really, are his dirty hands. And he asks me, Dad, can you help me clean up? And so after laughing at my butt, who's just totally a dirt ball, I say, sure, bud, let's do it. I'm tossing the bath. I'm tossing you in the bath. Caleb only sees his dirty hands, but I see how dirty he is all the way down. He only asked me to help him get his hands clean, but I intend to get him thoroughly clean. And friends, this is what it's like with our Father in heaven. He delights in taking our small and short-sighted confessions and giving us in return the, full, the fullness of forgiveness and the cleansing that goes all the way down. So here is the hope we have in confession. Here is the hope we have in confession. It is no less than Jesus Christ himself and the fact that in Jesus, God is faithful and God is just to forgive us. We are faithless and we are unjust. We sin against God and we sin against each other. But God is faithful and God is just. He keeps his promise to forgive and cleanse us in Christ. And he honors and values the saving work of his son every single time. You can bake on it. God is faithful. God is just. And Jesus is all our hope. It really is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the way around. So in conclusion, friends, I would just cast this vision for you. John and God behind him would have you grow in grace not sink in sin. God wants you to grow in grace, not sink in sin. He would have us grow in grace, and so he directs our attention upward and outward. Look at God, John says. Look at God. He is light. He is light. He's like the sun. 
But you know when you look up at the sun and you look into the brightness, which you're not supposed to do because you can go blind, they say. But anyway, you do it anyway sometimes, and then you look back down on everything, or you just do it in a bright light, and you look at everything, and there's like those dark splotches in life, right? Like you see the dark splotches in life. But God is the kind of light that when you look at him, when you look back down, what you see is the dark splotches in you. When you look at God in his holiness and his glory, and then you look back down at yourself, you notice the dark splotches in yourself. God is like that. Knowing God helps you to know yourself, but then knowing yourself helps you to know the God you need to know. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Knowing God in truth enables us to know ourselves in truth. That we are, that we are not all that we try to be, all that we pretend to be, but are instead very adept at using all kinds of shifts and evasions to avoid conviction. We are not as sinless as we would like to imagine we are, but we are in fact desperate and daily in need of God's forgiveness. It's the knowledge of God that leads to this kind of knowledge of self, which leads to a life of consistent confession. But it is also the knowledge of God that he is our gracious lawyer and remedy that frees us to be as honest as we can before God knowing that his agenda is our good and our transformation in Jesus Christ. So do not stay shackled to your sin. Do not keep it hidden under a rock. Do not pretend to be something that you are not. But dare to be honest with God. And dare to be honest with each other. And experience the grace of God in your Let's grow in grace. Would you pray with me? Well, Father in heaven, Lord, you are an amazing God. What other God in the world is there who motivates us to confess our sins by the amazing, sacrificial, gracious gift of your son, Jesus Christ? God, you woo us all the way teaching us and training us, just like we do with our kids. You do not have to be afraid to tell me the truth. I only have your good at end. God, I pray for those who are wanting to take that step of faith today and get honest about their sin or to bring out into the light something that they've kept hidden. God, help them to walk in faith and to experience grace just washing over them, cleansing them of all their sin. God, I pray that, that through that, they would not just feel something about themselves, that they're cleaner, but they would feel that they know you better, that they took a step of faith, they trusted you, that you would do what you promised, and you really do. You really are our lawyer and our lamb. Jesus, be everything to us, as you are everything we need. We ask this in Jesus' name.